Our scripture reading is going to be found in 1 Samuel chapter 7 as we continue our study through the life principles found in 1 Samuel. Now, if you need a Bible, there is one in the seat back pocket, or you can follow along on the screen behind me. 1 Samuel chapter 7, speaking of Samuel, Samuel, he judged Israel. Now, this word judged, it means he governed, he led Israel all the days of his life. He went on a circuit year by year to Bethel, Gilgal, and Mitzvah. It was about a 20-kilometer stretch of ministry. He judged Israel in all these places, and then he would return to Ramah, for his home was there. And I want you to remember, remember that. And there also he judged, or he led, or governed Israel. And he built there at his home an altar to the Lord. Lord, once again, we are grateful for your word. And once again, we pray because we believe. We believe in prayer. It's why we've gathered. It's why we're here. It's why we're standing in awe of you for your God and we're not. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you please have your seat? We're going to continue our study through Samuel. Maybe you want to take out your journal before we go any further and write there on the title, Life Principle, Trust God to help you. That's our life principle today. Trust God to help you. And there's no one better to look as an example of this life principle than Samuel himself. He was faithful. He was faithful to do what God had called him to do. If you remember all the way back in chapter 4, he would hear the Lord in Shiloh and then he would go and communicate what the Lord had said. It's now 20 years of his faithfulness, hearing and teaching the word of God. In fact, the people could count on his faithfulness. His testimony was that he ministered in Gilgal and Bethel, and he went on this 20-kilometer stretch of ministry from the north to the south of Israel, and there he would preach the gospel. They had come to expect it, and their time, just like the rising of the sun, because he was so faithful in this circuit, the Bible says, every year. But he wasn't just faithful in his public life. The Holy Spirit makes sure that we know that he's faithful at home. He's faithful in his private life. You see, he's faithful enough that there while he's home, he's still doing ministry. He's still leading from home. So much so that he even sets up an altar to worship God there in his home. Because I believe faithfulness is best measured on the home front. How does your wife evaluate your faith? How does your husband evaluate? How does your children evaluate your faith? Because the people that are closest to you, if they can say, oh, Samuel is faithful, then truly you know you have passed the litmus test. Samuel was faithful at home. He was faithful at his work. He was faithful in his public and his private life. He was faithful to proclaim the word of God. And now it's beginning to make impact. Because you remember at the beginning of Samuel's ministry, the Israelites were kind of doing things on their own. They weren't trusting God to help. No, they were trusting themselves. You remember the misery of walking through chapter 4. And Eric had to teach one of the hardest chapters in the Bible. And he did it so well communicating this war with the flesh. Because the flesh always wants to go its way. Chapter 5 and 6 doesn't get much better for Israel. You see, 
we can see that they just thought going into battle, you can live any kind of life you want and just bring the ark into battle. Use it like a lucky charm. You can just hold on to your golden cross and watch what God will do for you. No, they learned a valuable lesson that God's not a lucky charm. And then you remember when the town, they received the ark back in Israel, they didn't want the ark. They, they didn't want the presence of God in their town. And they asked someone else, please come and get it. We would rather do life our own way. We don't know if we can handle this trust in God to help us. But Samuel was faithful. And in the midst of this, after 20 years of ministry, two lives, two lives change. Take a look with me if you would. 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 1. And the men of Kiriath-Jerim came and took up the ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of Abinadab. Now, you may want to circle his name on the hill. And they consecrated his son, Eleazar, circle his name again, to have charge of the ark of the Lord. And from the day that the ark was lodged at Kiriath-Jerim, a long time passed, here it is, some 20 years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Now, I ask you to circle Abinadab, this father's name, because his name means my father's willing. My father is willing. Let me describe what Samuel is communicating through his name, who many theologians believe this was a new name or a title that was given to him, his name Abinadab. You see, he heard the word of God from Samuel, this dad. He heard the word of God from Samuel, and he was willing to embrace the word of God that Samuel preached. He was willing. My father is willing. So much so, he raises a son in the Lord. Now, if you're a dad, I want you to listen up because Father's Day is on the way. There's so much power in a father choosing to teach their children and invest spiritual things into their children. Abinadab, so faithful, he names his child Eleazar. Now, Eleazar, write it in your notes. It means, very important, God has helped. God has helped. This is the name that Abinadab gives his son, and it actually is a name of faith. It's a statement of faith, because let me remind you, it don't look like God is helping much. The ark of God had been taken. The Philistines are ruling over the Israelites, not God, so it seems, and they're taking back territory. God, where are you? And in the midst of this, Abinadab names his son like a statement of faith, God has helped. He even consecrated his son. He raised his son so well in the Lord, he was able to take care of the ark of God. He named him God has helped. Because let me tell you something about Abinadab. His eyes were not on his circumstance. His eyes were not on his experience. He heard the word. He was willing to receive it. And his eyes were choosing to be on God. It's amazing our faith, isn't it? Samuel... Well, Samuel pours faith into Abinadab. Abinadab is willing to receive it, and Abinadab pours faith into Eleazar. And I want you to see what happens there at the end of verse 2. And all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. All the house of Israel lamented. Now, maybe you want to know what this word means. It means all the house of Israel were returning to the Lord. This is our faith. 
This is a major outpouring of faith. And it began as small as a mustard seed. One father received the word. That father invested into his son. And now the light of that fire has kindled a nation. And all of Israel is returning to the Lord. Gang, this is our faith. This is what's happening here at Coast Hills. Let me give you another story. You can look it up later. It's 1 Kings chapter 18. Well, in 1 Kings 18, there's been no rain on Israel, and it looked drier than California in the summer, okay? It was brown, and people were dying, uh, animals were dying. It was just bad to be in Israel at this time. But Elijah, Elijah, our man of faith, he's there on Mount Carmel. And on the top of Mount Carmel, you can see the Mediterranean to the west. And on the top of Mount Carmel, you could see all of Israel to the east, And he gets down on his knees six times, Lord, bring rain, bring rain, bring rain. Six times. If I didn't see rain come around number three or four, I don't know about you, but I may have given up, but not Elijah. On number seven, he asked his servant for the seventh time, do you see anything? And the servant goes, I see a small little cloud. Well, this man of faith, Elijah, he runs over to Ahab and he says, Ahab, you better make it back home to your house because rain is coming. The Bible says it was such a torrential rainstorm that started with a cloud that was as small as a man's hand and it watered all of Israel. This is our faith. It always begins as small as the seed of a a mustard seed, but it promises by Jesus to always grow into the biggest tree of the garden if we choose to trust God to help us. Now, Samuel explains to us how we can do this. Because sometimes in a battle, it's hard to trust God to help us. And there's four things I want to quickly point out. If you'll look with me at verse three, we'll see the first one. And Samuel said to all the house of Israel, if you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, put away the foreign gods and the asterisk from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the people of Israel put away the Baals and the Asterisks, and they served the Lord only. Number one, if you're taking note, I want you to write it down. It's return to the Lord. Return to the Lord. If you want to develop this life principle in your heart and life, you need to return to the Lord. And what Samuel is saying is you need to repent. Repentance is the foundational element for trusting God to help you. And this kind of repentance, it's actually a recognition. It's a recognition that you've been trying to do things on your own. That you've been trying to make it without God. And you may not have even realized it because the people in the first church didn't. It's why James wrote a letter. James, the half-brother of Jesus, you know, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James. He wrote a letter to the church because they're trying to do it on their own. It's called pride. And they're in the midst of a trial, and we discover that in verse 1, in chapter 1. But by the time we get to chapter 4, he says to them, don't do it on your own. Don't be proud, prideful, because God opposes the proud, but he gives more grace to the humble. So he says, let me explain what humility is. Humility is you draw near to God. 
And he actually uses phrases like repent, mourn, wail, weep, lament, cleanse yourself from your sin. He's trying to express to them, you need to repent for trying to do it on your own. This is exactly Samuel's point. For chapter 4, 5, and 6, you've been doing it on your own. And you need to trust God to help you. But the first place it starts is recognizing and evaluating, have I been trusting something else? And if you have, you repent. And he describes what repentance looks like. It's these four things, the first of which is, listen, be sincere about it. He says, return with all of your heart. This is what repentance looks like. Return with all of your heart. It's recognizing, oh, wait a second, quite possibly I've been trusted in my money. Quite possibly I've been trusted in my workout program. Quite possibly I've been uh, trusting in this good eating habit. Wait a second, why do I not feel well? Why, where's all my money going? I've built up this incredible portfolio. Have I placed more time, energy, and effort into these things? Quite possibly it's a recognition we need to be serious and sincere that we put something in the way of God and we need to recognize and repent. Secondly, in this process of repentance, he says, put away the foreign gods. We've got a purpose to separate ourselves from the things that have come in front of God. We've got to get rid of the things that is blocking our relationship with God and decide to put our complete faith in him. Not our money, not our good eating habits or our workout program, but we put our faith in God. Thirdly, he says, direct your heart to the Lord. You've got a purpose to sanctify yourself. Purpose to sanctify yourself? Well, let me explain. It's getting into the word of God and discovering what he thinks about your situation. Jesus prayed a prayer for us. Sanctify them with your truth. Your word is truth. The only way that we can change is by discovering the truth in the word of God. Now, let me tell you a story. My family and I, we were in North Carolina on going on a vacation and we pulled over to get some gas and go to the bathroom. Well, I'm the first to get into the bathroom. And when I go into the bathroom, I get in there and there's a woman in the bathroom. Now, I'm not in California, so I'm not, it's shocking. You know, there's a woman in the bathroom in North Carolina. I know it's different here, but in North Carolina, they still have little boys' room and little girls' room. So you, I go into this bathroom, and this woman is there. I'm like, lady, what are you doing in this bathroom? And she just goes, ah, and runs out. So I'm just washing my hands, and I'm thinking to myself, I can't believe a woman came into the bathroom. And I walk out and I turn the corner. And as soon as I turn the corner and the door shuts, I see right there the little blue sign. (laughs) Not this one, this one. And when I saw the little blue sign, I realized I was wrong. She was right. That's why she screamed at me and ran out. And it's amazing to me how we walk into life thinking we're right. And then we walk into the word of God and we see the little sign and God says, you're wrong. You're wrong. Because the word of God is like that blue sign. It doesn't change. It always looks like this. It's truth. 
And it lets us know when we're wrong and are we willing to go into the word of God and discover the word. But then he says this, listen, you gotta serve him only. Will you choose to serve him only? Choosing to serve. Now here's what this means. This means that I go into the word, I recognize I'm wrong, but then I actually do something about it and I choose to go his way. I serve him by going his way even if it goes against my very grain. Even if I thought I'd been right for 70 years. Even if I thought for sure my wife was wrong. As soon as I go in the word, the way I serve him is I choose to go his way. Now, the people of Israel finally get it. Take a look with me if you would at verse 5. The Bible goes on, then Samuel said, gather all Israel at Mizpah, and I'm going to pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mizpah and drew water, poured it out before the Lord, and fasted on that day and said there, we've sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged, or he finally led, or he finally was able to govern the people of Israel at Mizpah. They finally listened. They finally came to the place where they realized we need to repent. And here's what they do. They take a jar of water, they pour it out, and they decide to fast. Do you know how we just prayed for Julie and everyone lifted their hands? This was just a symbolic act. You didn't actually have your hands on her, but you were acting as if, and you were saying, we're with you. It was a symbolic act that we're laying hands on you. We're praying for you. And that's what this is. They were doing a symbolic act. They were pouring out water saying, our sustenance here in this desert, we're completely dependent on you. And then they decided we're not going to eat. And what they're saying is, we are going to depend on you for strength and not food. Our sustenance and strength, we are completely trusting in you. And they were. They had gotten rid of anything that blocked their way of God. They had discovered through Samuel the word of God. And now they're repenting saying, we've sinned against the Lord. And gang, our faith has not changed. Several thousand years later, John would write the church and he would say this, if you would just simply confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you. Jesus did all the work on the cross, you guys. We don't have to pay penance. It's just a heart that comes before him and says, I'm wrong. You're right. And I'm sorry. This is an act of repentance that Samuel has led them to. But I want you to know something. Once you begin this road to trust God to help you, take a look what happens in verse 7. The Bible says, when the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mitzvah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the people of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. Number two, if you're taking note, I want you to write it down. Not only return to the Lord, you saw the steps of repentance, but you need to understand and expect attack from the enemy. If you decide to turn back to God, just expect attack from the enemy. If you choose to go the way of God, if you choose to repent, expect him to come in. Jesus made it clear. It's Matthew 13. You can read the parable later. He says, you put wheat down, the enemy's going to come, and he's going to plant weed. It's just what he does. Now, I'm not speaking about weed. I'm speaking about weeds, okay? Some of you looked at me like, wait a second, Jet. No, this is not that kind of church. 
Jesus said, you plant wheat, the enemy comes and will plant weeds. Did you hear it? Weeds. It's what the enemy does. You just have to expect it. And I believe understanding that you can expect it, it'll keep you from being so surprised, so shocked, and so overwhelmed when you actually return to the Lord. It's just part of the process. The enemy knows it's dangerous when we start getting close to God. And so you can expect some temptation or some trial is right around the corner as you begin to trust God to help you. Now, it's amazing. If you looked and you saw, he attacked them when they all came together. Here's Israel. They're putting their best foot forward in faith, and God allows the enemy to attack them. They get attacked. I understand this all too well. I don't know if you know this. Every Sunday morning before we get ready to gather, every Sunday morning at 7 o'clock, our technology goes down. Pro presenter breaks, air turns off, the mics don't work. Every Sunday, almost at 7 o'clock, listen, there's a little demon up here. He's a little Coast Hills assigned demon, okay? He enters the building at 7 o'clock, and he starts pulling plugs everywhere. We need prayer at 7 o'clock on Sunday mornings because he attacks when the people of God gather. I don't know if you know this. Last Good Friday, all of a sudden, the heater kicked on. It went to 85 degrees in here. On Easter, not this year, but last year, 10 a.m. service, the alarm goes off right when I'm getting ready to teach. Now listen, you may not understand why God allows all this, but I, wanna, I want you to hang on for the end of the story. Because what the enemy intends for evil, God intends for good. Let me tell you. I had someone walk up to me after Good Friday service. This is what they said. I thought it was great the way you made us feel like we were in hell. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Someone after the Easter service, they came up to me. That was executed perfectly. The alarm going off right before you taught woke us all up. It was like Jesus had resurrected. Thank you, Jesus. What the enemy intends for evil, God intends for good. But you see, it's just the enemy. He hates when we gather. And let me tell you why he attacks. Because he wants to instill fear into our lives. Fear pokes hole in our faith. And the Israelites were afraid. And by right, they should have been. 20 years ago, when the Philistines attacked, they lost the ark, they lost territory, and now the Philistines were ruling. And the same five lords are now coming upon them again. And they're looking at the situation going, wait a second. But this time's a little different for them. Take a look at what they choose to do in verse 8. And the people of Israel said to Samuel, Don't cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. So Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, underline this, and the Lord answered him. Now, how many of you would love to have answered prayer every time you pray just like this? If you would like to, this kind of answered prayer, I want you to raise your hand. Me too. I want, <laughs> when I said, if you would like, then everybody. So let's do it one more time. If you want to go, God, I need help. And then he just answers. Go ahead and raise your hand. Okay, Samuel gives us the secret. He actually shows us. 
If we want to put God and, and trust him for our help, he gives us a secret. You see, the people, they don't think God's a lucky charm anymore. They cry out to God with all of their heart. They don't think God's a lucky charm anymore where they can just bring the ark in. No, no, no. They take a nursing lamb, a lamb that symbolically represents someone who is completely dependent on their parents. And they put the whole burnt offering. They don't keep a piece for themselves like, like uh, Eli did. No, they're letting God know we're completely dependent on you. We are wholeheartedly reaching out to you. This kind of faith pleases God. It's the evidence of things not seen. This kind of faith says to the mountain, be removed. Now, I don't know if you know this or not. All of our elders, but just a couple of them, went on a mission trip last week to El Salvador. Now, if you don't think you can do a mission trip, all of our elders went last week. Well, we were getting, and you should have seen them. They had machetes in their hands, and they were cutting grass. We showed up to this church, okay? It was, a, it was my moment of the trip. We showed up to this church, this pastor, in the country village of El Salvador. A little tiki hut kind of church. We as elders show up, he begins to cry. So encouraged that we've come to bless him. And then he just watches as these elders, they've got rakes and machetes and they're cutting grass. And I was watching this. I go, I couldn't believe you should be so proud of your leadership. But it was that kind of trip. It was like a Patmos elders trip, okay? Actually, one of the elders said, we're gonna get shirts that say Patmos light. And I said, no, we're gonna get Patmos ultra light, okay? So, but we were getting ready to leave. And one of the elders, I won't tell you who he is, one of the elders was really praying with all of his heart. It's time to go. You know, it's like, let's go. But a water truck came in front of the gate of our, where we were staying, and we couldn't get out because it's a cement wall. So I went up to the elder and I said this. You know, the Bible says, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you could say to that water truck, be thou removed, and we can get to the airport. Oh, Jesus, move the water truck. That's a prayer of faith, isn't it? I can't do anything to make it change. And let me tell you something. You would have been thankful for your leadership. They rocked it. Because they were, amen. They served so faithfully, so wholeheartedly. That prayer moved that truck. We were on our way. It's the secret to answered prayer. Secret to answer prayer, Jeremiah repeats it. He says, if you seek me with my whole, your whole heart, you'll find me. The secret to answered prayer is not a popcorn prayer. Hey, Jesus, great, glad to see you. Oh, I gotta go, by. No, this is a prayer where you're taking the time to offer your whole heart to God. Now, remember I told you to wait till the end of the story. Remember I asked you to have the kind of faith that doesn't look at the now, but the wholehearted kind of faith that trusts God to help us. Well, let's take a look what happens there in verse 10. And as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion, and they were defeated before Israel. And the men of Israel went out from Mitzvah and pursued the Philistines and struck them as far as Beth Car. I don't know if you saw it. I want you to see it again. Look there in the middle of verse 10. But the Lord. 
I want you to write it down. It's number three. Have faith in the God factor. Because this situation is not looking great. This situation is looking hopeless. Five lords of the Philistines, they're outnumbered five to one. Wait a second. This is overwhelming. This is a daunting experience. And the Bible says while they were there worshiping, the enemy actually got closer. They drew near. From their perspective, this don't look right. But from God's perspective, something incredible is about to happen. I ask you to underline it, but the Lord. I love the but the Lord's in my life. It's the God factor. The God factor is just when you think there is no way, just when you think there's no way, you realize his way is higher. And just when you thought all hope was lost, you realize his thoughts are not like yours. And God thunders. Now, in California, since I've been here four years, I've only heard thunder one time. I've only heard it one time. But when I was growing up, thunder was a part of our summer experience. And I was terrified of thunder. I, it would shake our whole house. I would run to my parents' room or I'd beg my sister, please let me sleep with you. I can't take God is upset. Like I'd be really, like he's out to get me. I felt like I, I was confessing sin. I was doing everything I could for the thunder to stop. Imagine how loud this was. It caused so much confusion. They took flight. They knew God was speaking to them. When we study Revelation, we learn something about the speaking of God. Because the words of Jesus were thunderous, John tells us. So thunderous that when Jesus showed up on the scene to say, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the Bible says John turned. So startled by this thunderous word of God because his word is thunderous. And when Jesus was attacked by the enemy, and when he was in the midst of his battle after 40 days of fasting, and the enemy came on him like an onslaught, turned this stone to bread, Jesus responded with the thunderous word of God, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And church, let me tell you something. When you inject the word of God into your battle, you're going to have victory. You're going to be inspired. The Israelites were. They no longer on the defensive. They go on the offensive. They go from fear to faith and begin to attack. So let's understand what's happened now as they begin to trust in God. Revival breaks out and now they've got victory. Victory is happening. Take a look at verse 12. Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mitzvah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer. For he said, till now the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and did not again enter the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. The cities that the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel from Ekron to Gath. And Israel delivered their territory from the hand of the Philistines. There was peace also between Israel and the Amorites. Victory! no longer on the defensive. We're taking our, our territory back. And as the Amorites are watching the Philistines get worked, 
They give Israel a call. Um, hey, Israel, uh, we're seeing God do some great things in Israel. Can we have a peace treaty? Like, can your land be your land, our land be our land? Could you leave us alone? Because we're really watching God do revival. We're watching God do victory. We're watching you be faithful. We're seeing you trust in God as your help. Well, hey, listen, um, can we make a peace treaty between us? Victory. Because our faith is Victory. And I love what our faithful man Samuel does. It's our final number four. He remembers his faithfulness and he worships. He worships. He sets up a memorial to the Lord and he calls it Ebenezer. Let me tell you what he does. He puts a big rock on the road of victory to remind everyone God has helped us, Ebenezer. This would be like us going to Washington, D.C. and seeing the Abraham Lincoln Memorial. But Jews can't do graven images. They can't do faces. So they don't do models. They don't do uh, uh, icons or they don't do uh, people. They just put rocks in the road. And these rocks help them remember God has helped us. Now remember the beginning of this chapter? Do you remember? We had one faithful dad who heard the word of God. One faithful dad who heard the word of God and he named his son Eliezer. God helped us. Past tense. In faith. Statement of faith. God helped us. And that statement of faith began to kindle a fire and that fire spread through all the nation where the whole nation repents and returns to the Lord. And now the nation, as they've trusted God to help them, are celebrating the victory God has helped us. Church, do you remember I told you to hang on to the end of the story? I know you're in your battle. And maybe in your battle, you need to be like an Abinadab. And you need to be willing to make a statement of faith. I'm going to trust God to help me. And I've been trying to figure it out on my own. I've been trying for my finances to figure it. I've been trying for doctors to figure it. I've been trying for all of these things. But I'm going to trust God to help me. There's my statement of faith. There is my Eleazar. There is my statement. God has helped. God is going to be my help. I'm going to trust God to help me. And then what I want you to do, stand back. And watch the God factor bring you to victory as you wholeheartedly today give it to him and trust him.